Trail and Ultra Runners, what is going on? What's happening? Welcome to the 100th episode of the Coopcast. As always, and as has been for the last 100 episodes, I am your humble host, Coach Jason Coop. And first off, before I get into this intro, thank you to all the listeners that have made this podcast so special to me. I, when I first began this podcast, I had absolutely no idea how meaningful it would be to me professionally. And a lot of that meaning comes from you guys, all of you, the listeners that I get to see out of the races and I get to hear feedback from on social media and how much the content that is contained within the podcast that I've produced, how much that means to you and how much it helps you on your ultra marathon journey. So I'm going to keep bringing it and true to form, I could have done anything with a hundredth episode I could have put together a bunch of silly clips of you know the most salacious things that people have said and the craziest stuff that happened on the podcast this podcast really isn't all that crazy but instead I'm just going to keep with the theme of the show and bringing you the listeners high quality information that can help you in your trail and ultra running journey and this episode is no different the longtime listeners will know that this is we are right in the middle right now of a series of podcasts that I'm doing all about how to utilize physical therapy and this podcast is really special to me because it is with one of my oldest friends on this earth, somebody that I've known since junior high school. We played all different kinds of sports together, and now we just happen to be in the same field of working with athletes. It is with my good friend, all the way from Dallas, Texas, John Chow, who's a doctor of physical therapy, and he uh, happened to start his own clinic called the Matrix Physical Therapy and Wellness Center in, in Santa Monica, California. But I'm not just bringing on John because he is an old pal of mine. I have come to really Really appreciate John's perspective on the space of physical therapy. And in addition to that, he just happens to be one of the smartest people that I have known in my entire life. I think you guys will appreciate his perspective, not only as a business owner and a high quality physical therapist, but somebody that understands athletes and always, always, always puts the patient's needs first and will do whatever he can in order to get good patient outcomes. John, thank you in advance for being a friend, a confidant, and a fantastic physical therapist. I am going to get right out of the way. Here's my conversation with my good friend, my childhood friend, John Chow. I determined in advance, since you and I have known each other for so long, we have to make a mm -hmm. pact before we actually get into the meat of this. And that pact is... is we can't talk about anything that happened before 2002. Before 2002, but I was going to talk about your accolades in like high school, <laughs> and how you were the star <laughs> linebacker, and football, nobody would know how badass yeah. a football player used to be and all that stuff. Well, one, nobody gives a shit about that. But the second, the second thing is, is there's a certain level of professional decorum that for sure we would drop underneath if we talked about some stuff that happened but, you It'll know, all be good. You know, no it's way. Good. No way. I think it's 50, 50, 50 shots. So nothing before 2002. Unfortunately, both of our professional careers okay. were after that. So we can keep in, we Pretty can keep much. it, keep That's it. That's where I started school in 2002. So yeah. Yeah. All in right. PT school, good, man. good. So you just took me through a virtual tour of your space out there in Santa Monica to yes. set the table with this. Why don't you take through the listeners through what they're going to see if they come into your clinic? 
So our clinic is unique in that we have a lot more time one-on-one with the physical therapist. We have 45 minutes of one-on-one time with the PT. And also every PT has their own uh, assistant, physical therapy aid. And so not only do you get one-on-one time with the PT, you also get one-on-one time up to 45 minutes with the aid itself. A lot of clinics have one aid working with multiple patients and or the PT works with multiple patients at once. But in our clinic, you get one-on-one time with PT for 45 minutes and then one-on-one time with the aid for 45 minutes. So it's up to an hour and a half of personalized one-on-one treatments. And you have an array of things that you can do within your clinic. I mean, you just took me around. It was kind of like part strength training area and part physical therapy clinic. So what are all the things that you have access to? The reason we named our clinic Matrix Physical Therapy and Wellness. So not only do we offer physical therapy services, the wellness services we offer are personal training, um, massage therapy, and Pilates. Because we feel like those are great adjuncts to build upon using while in conjunction of physical therapy and or you can graduate and then continue those things to further your individual goals. So it is multifactorial and we... but. I also am a big fan, believe it or not, I am a fan of chiropractic treatments. I am a fan of yoga. I'm a big fan of acupuncture, anything that helps, essentially. We don't offer those here, but we I do recommend it. If it helps you, by all means, I'm very open-minded for that. But in this clinic specifically, we do offer um, Pilates, one-on-one Pilates sessions, one-on-one personal training sessions, one-on-one massage therapy sessions. Okay. So. And it, but it didn't always start out like that, right? There was some sort of evolution to you decide you want to be a physical therapist and then you want to start a practice and then you're going to have a practice with all of these different elements. And you and I cool. have had a number of different conversations about how that evolution has ultimately taken place and kind of what services make the cut and what services don't make the cut based on any number of different factors, what the patients need, what clientele you're serving. There's a business component to this as well that that we've talked about. And I want to start to portray that aspect to the listeners as well, because ultimately what I want to have them come away with is how how can they look at the physical therapy landscape on their own and start to determine hey, I want to go to this clinic or I want to go to that practitioner or I want to go over to this one because it'd be easy for me to just recommend something, right? But not everybody's going to reach out to me and say, hey, do you know a physical therapist in XYZ place? I'm happy to triage that. But a lot of people are going to want to try to like figure it out on their own or figure it out in that area. And I think the window to that, to helping athletes figure that out is look at successful practices like yourself and see what they can draw from why they're set up, why, how they're set up and why they're set up. So take, take me through that. Like what was the evolution of the things that you've added in and how they make the cut versus they don't make the cut? Well, the first to, to go to start from the beginning, what I think is really important and what patients and your athletes really need to look for as far as determining what kind of physical therapy clinic to go to is there's many aspects of physical therapy in itself. The main aspects is therapeutic exercise in manual therapy. A manual therapist by definition is somebody that actually uses their hands and goes in and does soft tissue mobilization, joint mobilization, myofascial release, manual stretching, manual um, proprioceptive neuromuscular facilitation, things using their hands. A lot of, and uh, but in my opinion, a good physical therapist does 
some some of each. They it, but it all also depends on what the athlete needs. And one thing I've noticed is some clinics only do modalities, which is hot pack ultrasound, electrical stimulation. You actually find very little of that here because unfortunately the research is not that strong in the effectiveness of that. And if you're actually looking to evaluate a clinic and if you, if that's all they do, I just had a patient this morning she she's been to many clinics and I asked them, what do they do? And she said, all they do is ultrasound electrical stimulation and hot ice pack. And like, that's not addressing the cause of your problem. So the most important aspect of a physical therapy clinic is finding therapists that will find the root cause of your problem, essentially. And because all these other aspects that we're just mentioning as far as Pilates, man, therapeutic exercise, or personal trainer, and massage therapy, is these are all adjuncts to treat the cause, but the most important aspect is to find the cause of the problem, not just the treatment. So you have to find a clinic that that's where they're going to go to. That's what they're good. The priority is to actually address the root cause of the issue. And that's a, that's a really hard thing to do, right? It's easy to say, Oh yeah, go ahead and find the root cause of the injury, but going through that process. And I've been through this with any number of physical therapists, both personally, and then also with the athletes that I work with trying to figure out that root cause. It's not as easy as, you know, a litmus test that turns red or turns green or turns purple or whatever. It takes a really qualified practitioner to try to try to work through those things. And I think a lot of the, I'm going to kind of speak for you a little bit because you and I have talked about this a lot. A lot of the frustration that you see with other practitioners in the space is they're just throwing shit at the problem, right? They can't figure out the root cause. So they just throw, they throw five modalities at it and then maybe one of them will actually stick. Yes. Yes, so you, then you have to, you know, it's a lot of, we get a lot of referrals because the doctors know that we spend a lot of time and it, it goes back to the time aspect. You have to have enough time to try different things. You have to have the experienced clinicians to actually do that. And so, and then, and then being able to utilize all these other things to, to treat the, the, the patient itself. But um, it, it, it we get a lot of referrals through word of mouth. Essentially. When we first started the practice, we spent a lot of money on marketing techniques on advertisements and going to every individual doctor and saying, Hey, we have this clinic. We offer these things and everything. You know how many referrals I got to from all those doctors that we actually physically went and saw zero. The doctors don't care about what I say. They care about what, patients say. Mm. So our biggest source of referrals are from other patients who've come to see us and then they fail treatments at other places. They come to see us and like, wow, we work different. We actually address the cause. And then they tell, they go back and tell the doctor, this clinic does this. They actually find the cause of the problem and they treat it. And then it doesn't come back because we address the cause. We don't just treat symptoms. And then the doctor says, wow, they actually do that. Then the doctor starts sending to us. And then the patients send their friends, family and all that. So being successful with a patient is how we keep, we've been able to grow. We started with just my partner and I five years ago. And since we are at 11 PTs now. So just in, and that happened three years ago or two years ago, literally. So in three years, we were able to expand our practice in that big because of the way we are uh, philosophy and how we treat patients. 
And so when, if it is, is it really a time problem? Like if, in terms of, is in terms of trying to suss out the root it's cause not, of an it's, injury. It's actually a thought process problem. Okay. The, the way I say that is, so I, when I went to PT school back in the early 2000s, I, when I graduated, I knew I wasn't good enough to figure out the cause. And that's the process called differential diagnosis. And so I did an additional year of training called the residency, orthopedic residency. And that was highly intensive because I saw my professors who were very experienced. They were able to see a patient, know, like l- listen to their history, know what tests to do, how to diagnose them so fast. I'm like, there's no way I can do that. Even when I graduated from a three-year doctor of physical therapy program, number one ranked in the country, I, when I graduated, I knew I was not good enough to be able to do that. So I voluntarily applied and got into this residency program. And during that time is where they really hammer in the thought process with you. And it's the whole differential diagnosis process. And it's what that means is when somebody comes to me with a problem, I am able to look at their demographics, their subjective exam, and come up with a list of 10 things that I think it probably could be. And I'm able to rule in, rule out by specific questions on, um, what the potential cause is. And then the, our objective exam is where I further rule in, rule out the problem. And I'm able to um, hone in on the root cause of that. So it's a whole process that goes on in my head that I have to go through. And that takes a specific amount of training. I can tell you from interviewing and having other PTs who work for me, not everybody does that. Not everybody teaches that in the PT profession. So it's kind of, but the hard the problem is how do you find somebody who actually is able to do that? Right. No, so that was gonna be my question. How do you do that? Like you hire pre-tees, you have a successful clinic, you've had to go through that in your hiring process. How do you do it? Correct. Because I we during our hiring process, we specifically ask those questions because I know that's the most that's what makes the most successful therapist is somebody who's able to have that thought process when they're treating. Because if something's not working, you have to constantly be going through this thought process. You can't just be very simple, simple minded and think, oh, the high hamstring it has to be that. You have to link all the different body parts, all the different processes. And it, 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 it is, it actually goes further into that process. And that's when somebody has tight hamstrings, weak glutes, tight calves, those are what we call impairments. And so you have to be able to link all different kinds of impairments to a diagnosis in, in itself as well. So, um, and not only that, you have to be able to see the body as a whole picture. So many people get tunnel vision, narrow-minded, and only look at that injury. However, they don't see the, the link between all the segments above and all the segments below and how, and what we call the connect chain and how that's all leaking and how that's all causing the problem, hence addressing the cause, which is not always the area that you're being treated for. And my clinic, we actually are a clinical site for the USC's orthopedic residency. And so we take residents, which is the same program I went through. And so these residents get mentored by us and people who did this. And that's the biggest thing that we teach. And that's the biggest problem I'm seeing from these new graduates is they're not able to link all of these 
different body parts together and all of these different impairments to find the ultimate root cause of the problem. So it's a whole process, not only differential diagnosis, but also linking multiple impairments to find that diagnosis, essentially. you. So you already hit on my, like, you know, one of, one of the things that I just get consistently irritated at whenever I send an athlete to a physical therapist and they come back with the diagnosis of weak glutes, for whatever reason, that just seems to be like the blanket, the, the blanket it's, cause it's for a, everything within running. It's, it is definitely a big buzz. <laughs> <laughs> I can point out to one, one specific PT who kind of started that craze, but I'm not, I won't mention his name, but, uh, some people really agree with him a lot and some people, um, don't agree with them a lot. It's it's definitely present in a lot of people. However, it's rarely the only problem. <laughs> okay, but let let's get let, let's let's kind of get back to this evaluation piece because once again, you've got this sure. perspective where you hire physical therapists. You also yes. mentor physical therapists from. Is it still the top program in the country? One of the top three programs yeah. in the country. Number one still. Number one program in the country. So. You're like, you've literally kind of got the cream of the crop there, right? And still, when you see these, you know, knucklehead, you know, about to graduate PTs in there, just like you and I were knuckleheads in 2002. Yes, I definitely was when I graduated. (laughs) We were for sure. We were for sure that, 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 that that place you took the extra step and you got yourself extra education. But if you were, if you were to look at that class that comes in and say, okay, I need to hire somebody from this class how is that person going to stand out for you? What are they actually doing in the clinic? What is their thought process? Because once again, I want to use this as a window so that athletes can look at that and, and identi- either identify that or not identify that with their like practitioner circle, practitioner circle that they are trying to figure out. I think that one of the most important things we look at is the person's ability to look at the whole picture, not just the problem and not just treat symptoms, but treat um, again, trying to find the root cause. That's the biggest thing. And not and, and, and being able to see it from a grand point of view, because we actually test the PTs. Like if, if this person has, let's just say lateral condylitis of the elbow, um, how do you treat that? Do you, and, and I, it's literally everything. So, um, uh, an elementary, very simplistic physical therapist will look at lateral condylitis and just naturally assume they have weak wrist, finger extensors, tightness in the forearm, but they don't look at the proximal shoulder joint. They don't look at the rotator cuff sprain. They don't look at the biceps tricep. They don't look at postural, the shoulder position, the mid-scapula, how, all the proximal aspects, and even distal, where they may not look at workstation ergonomics. They have to look at everything that contributes to that. Why is the forearm tight? Why is it getting overworked? And many of these people lateral condylitis don't play tennis, even though it's called tennis elbow. So you have to look at all of these different factors. And so we look at their thought process to see if they actually take into all of these different accounts. And so if you're looking for physical therapists, those are questions you can ask. Say, I have a knee problem. I have patellar tendonitis. Please explain to me your thought process and how you treat that. And if they start off by saying we throw modalities at it, like ice electrical stimulation, ultrasound to treat that, I would say then don't go to them because that is not the proper way. You have to look at so many other factors and so many things from if somebody lacks dorsiflexion in the ankle, if they have tight calves, the hamstrings, the core, you have to look at the whole body. You can't just look at the knee itself. And so trying to ask the therapist, do you treat the whole thing you look at all the different training 
like how, tell me how you would design a training program for me. If all they do is give you straight leg raises and squats and you just focus on the quads, that's not good. You have to find the, the multiple different factors that can contribute to that. So you can flat out and ask them, how do you treat this? You know, how, like give, give me your treatment plan. And we are actually getting a lot more and more patients calling us, asking that very question. Oh, like, really? I have this. I have low back pain. Please, can you please run me through your treatment plan? How do you do this? Huh. And so the way I explain it is, you know, ask a very thorough subjective evaluation. I have this list of in my head, what I think could be causing it. And the, all the things I look at as far as posture, what you do during the day, any changes in your activity level pre post COVID and work uh, demands and then looking at the body and whole, everything we just talked about, and then designing a treatment plan to address everything that, that could be contributing to that. Because they're, they're, they're the ones who've gone to all these other clinics and they just do a very simplistic thing. And, you know, low back pain, everybody says, okay, just strengthen the core. But it's rarely just a weakness issue with a low back. Well, I, <laughs> so, think, I think what you're kind of getting at is, is like somebody comes in with, you know, they, they have runner's knee, right? Their knee hurts. Some physical therapists will say, okay, let's focus on managing that pain and see if we can get you back into the field of play just through that pain management. What you're saying is, is your clinic will take a more comprehensive approach and say, why is that pain happening in the first place? We're going to target 100%. that. 100%. Exactly. Why did you get it? Did you have a change, uh, too dramatic of a change in your training regimen? Did you try to progress too fast, too quickly? Did you change the the surface of that you're running? Did you try to change, like add hills? Did you add biking to it? You know, we treat a lot of triathletes. And then when, as soon as they start increasing, um, they, they started biking more or they change a variable that, that can contribute to that. You have to consider that variable. What aspect of that variable is causing the problem in running? So you have to take the whole account. You can't just, again, treat the symptoms. You have to treat why it happened. Otherwise it's going to have, it's going to come back. And right. then their attitude is physical therapy didn't work. So, and then there's like, I tried PG didn't work, but the problem is they didn't address the cause and why it happened. Right. So then a lot of people would give up on it and then they'll continue to have pain in or having to stop. Or they just have shame. Or they just have weak glutes for the rest of their lives. Correct. But <laughs> <laughs> we pick on the, the weak glutes people. I mean, I remember this when I was working with, I can't remember what the specific ailment was with you. And, 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 and you asked me this battery of questions that I was exhausted afterwards, like just one after the other, after the other, after the other, like it was just so mentally taxing for me to recall all of these things. How much time are you sitting? How much time do you spend walking around? What were you doing here? What were you doing there? But then after afterwards, I appreciated that so much because I was like, okay, well now he has the whole context in the same way that I would look at an athlete's like previous training history and what they do for a living and what their day-to-day lives are. And are they the soccer coach and all these other kind of things like that intake is, it it was once again, you're doing it for me because I'm a friend, but I, I feel that a lot of times in the physical therapy world, relating to an earlier point that I was making, they kind of get pinched by time, right? Because they've got to see so many patients all at once. So why, why I think it's important for the listeners to understand why specifically is that a problem? Like why is this time crunch so pervasive in the industry? Unfortunately, you're seeing this in every medical field. And I hate, I hate the bash insurance companies, but the insurance reimbursements have gone down so much literally 
that they've been they've been cut in half. So we are. So I understand a lot of different clinics, a lot of different people. They have to see more patients in order to get paid enough to pay their bills. It's a business we component. Are make, it, it, it's the it's the business component. Yeah, it's strictly we are able to make up for strictly on volume because we have eleven physical therapists, we have expanded the space, and we have added these other adjuncts to supplement our income. So and honestly, like my partner and I, we just don't make as much money because we are not motivated <laughs> economically. We're really literally motivated by getting the people better. And what they need is more time in order to do the things, to do a proper evaluation, do a proper subjective, do a proper uh, objective evaluation to truly have that. There, are, Of course, there are simple, more simple patients who you don't need a lot of time. They come in and you're like, okay, it's this, this and this because they, they know a lot about their body and they tell you all the information you need. And they say, I try, I changed this training aspect and this is what happened. And this tightened up and I'm like, okay, go ahead. and we treat that. And it's very simple, but there are a lot of people who just don't like you mentioned, it is really hard. The questions we ask are really hard because people aren't paying attention to that. So I asked them, I'm like, look, then the beauty of what we do is we see people twice a week for however many weeks. And I said, well, next time you come in, just pay attention to that and tell me next time. And this, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I didn't realize this change and what I did was, was doing that. So a lot of people just aren't aware, but when we're able to see them multiple times a week, then we can, it, we don't have to figure out that first visit and it doesn't always happen in that first visit. So, so is we it have a, that luxury. Is it a reasonable screen? I'm kind of putting you on the spot here with your profession, so you can punt, you can punt this question if you really want to. But is it a reasonable screen for an athlete to say, okay, I'm going to call this physical therapy clinic and just ask them how long their initial intake is? And if it's of below, course. luckily, most clinics that I know of, their initial intake is up to an hour. They do have that amount of time, uh -huh. but the follow-up isn't always there. And like I just mentioned, if you can't figure out that first time, you need more time in those follow-ups to ask those questions and then do more evaluative techniques. But if you only have 15, 20 minutes of time and you you have to do treatment, you, it's hard to do treatment and evaluation at the same time if you only have that minimal amount of time. So um, one thing we do do and I don't necessarily get paid for this is a lot of my patients, they always email me <laughs> in between their visits and say, Hey, I have this, this is how I reacted. I went to the golf course and I hit this many balls and this is how I reacted. What should I do here? How should I do? And so I'm spending time like literally guiding them in between their sessions in addition to their sessions also. So it is a time commitment as well. And so you want a physical therapist that cares <laughs> about you and who will, take that time where you can email them. They'll get back to you just like anybody who has a surgeon or a doctor who they go to and the doctor drew receptive on, on emails and they have questions post-operatively and they can email the doctor and the doctor gets back to them, you know? So a lot of, a lot of complaints I get from patients, doctors don't do that. And, and, and infections get missed or post-operative complications get missed because there isn't good follow-up care. So you do need good follow-up care with PT as you do with any other medical profession. It's a tricky proposition from a business perspective, though, because you understand that, like you just mentioned, that your insurance reimbursement rates are crap, and now you're spending more time in between the visits to answer questions and answer emails and things like that. And Correct. I know, I know, you have this frustration. Eventually, the time that you spend working versus how you are remunerated, right? You remunerate yourself as a business owner and things like that starts to become out of proportion. You got kids and a wife and you want to live your life and things yes. like that. Like it's, it becomes tricky, right? Well, luckily I don't live extravagantly. So 
it's okay. We manage. <laughs> right. Let's pivot a little because bit. I, nobody, I, don't, I don't know if people, how many people believe me, but honestly, my biggest reward is when patients come back and say, I could, I went and did this bike ride, the 120 mile bike ride. I, I went and did this huge hike. I was able to run the marathon. I was able to do that. That gives me the greatest reward and satisfaction. And they can tell that's genuine. So I think, when, so when patients are choosing a physical therapist, they'll know, they can tell the PT really cares about the, the, the effort, the amount of questions they're asking, how much they're really paying attention to what they're telling them, how much they're paying attention to change little things here and there to really get them back to their athletic training goals. So you, I would try to find a PT who actually genuinely has empathy and cares as much to get you back to what you want. Even if something as simple as I slept through the night, or I was able to pick my kid up. I was able to throw them in the pool. I, all these little goals, functional goals, are what we I truly would live for. That pe- that gives me chills every time they come back and they can tell me I was able to do this. I'm like, that's exactly why I do what I do. All right, child. So, so we're we're gonna get you more ideal patients right here, right now, right? So anybody <laughs> in the Santa Monica area can 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 go to John Chow. But what can patients or athletes do when they come and see you? to get into that category, to get into the category where they sleep through the night, they do their first marathon, they complete a triathlon, things like that, to have that successful outcome, what can they do with their physical therapist and, and what they do at home to kind of maximize that experience? The biggest thing in my opinion is to be an active participant in the physical therapy itself. And what I mean by that is take notes and try to give your physical therapist as much information as you can, as far as changes, even even daily habits, how long you sit for, it's and things what we call aggravating and alleviating factors. Give me specifics on what hurts you, what makes you feel better. And the more information I have on all those little things can clue me in on all the things that are affecting you and all the things that are contributing to the why. And not only being active in that, being super active in your and adhering to your home exercise program because patient compliance is probably the biggest problem that we have athletes. It's actually much less because they are very motivated to get back to what they want, but general population, the uh, adherence to their exercise program, as far as the exercises itself, the stretches, the self soft tissue mobilizations. I, I tell patients all the time, the more you do and the more frequently you do, the faster your rehabilitation process will go. And then the, um, more likely the positive outcome will be. So taking and being very active, actually doing what your PT says, and then journaling, taking notes and trying to be, give them as much information as possible. I, I think, so you're not aware of this, John, but I am because this podcast hasn't been released. I just, I recorded it literally yesterday with a very good friend of mine, very high level physical therapist, Jessica Lehman. So the listeners can refer back a week ago to this podcast. I asked her that similar question and she went onto the notes take notes, take notes in your day-to-day life, take notes during the meeting. That's your biggest conduit. So it's really interesting to hear both of you say that independently, you know, it's not like you guys like collaborated with each other in in advance or anything like that. But I think the listeners can like really take that piece to heart that you're an active participant in this process. You're not just a passive piece of clay to be molded or anything like that. And, And unfortunately I think that's one, not to, um, not to go off on topic too much, but I think that's a big aspect of medicine today is people are too reliant on the healthcare system to help them instead of being more helping yourselves. And 
my brother-in-law is an internist and he says, everybody just goes to him and says, fix me, give me a pill, give me this to get me better. Instead of uh, what can I do to help myself? And we're here to guide you and tell you that, but you have to be an active participant. And I, I, I tell my patients, I'm only with you an hour and a half a week. You know, you're by yourself that entire rest of the week. You have like, you're responsible for all that other time. I'm responsible for the time you're near, but you have to help yourself during that all that other time. So, Okay. So just, we just built your business up a bit. Now we're going to tear it down. How do people stay out of your office? Like who are the people that you don't see? What are they doing right that you never are going to interact with them? Honestly, if I see people on the street and I haven't seen them in a while, I consider that a good thing because that means you're not in pain. You don't need to come see me. So the people who aren't in here are the ones doing the job. They're doing the things that they're supposed (laughs) to be doing doing, or not doing the things they're not supposed to be doing. You know, so there's many activities that says you can't do that. When it's lifting, there's certain lifting techniques that they shouldn't be doing. There's certain training things they shouldn't be doing that are that's hurting them. So it's like, you know, that's probably an activity you shouldn't be doing. But specifically so, with, with running or you can kind of expand it into any endurance sports, triathlon, cycling, and things like that. Like, is there a common set of all these athletes are doing this right and so they very rarely get injured or when I do see them, that the, it's very kind of minor versus the people. And you, you have, I know you have these patients, every physical therapist does that's in there every single month. And it's always something different. You know, it's this, this to that, to that. Like, is there any commonality that you can find amongst those two groups of, of, of athletes that you've worked with? Interesting question. The ones that I don't see who are doing, who, who kind of avoid injury I would say, I think what, what's something that's very overlooked and that, that they should probably doing a lot, and the athletes who are relatively injury-free is they are stressing the importance of recovery. And when I say recovery, I mean downtime, not training, as far as, and then when they do train, they properly stretch afterwards. They, I remember talking to you about this, how much you stretch after you run. None, you know, I love none. you for like 30 minutes. <laughs> you used to stretch. I used to, not other day you, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, so many people always ask me what, so they, 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 they do the things before, but I, I suggest you should, you should do them before, during, and after, especially the after is the most important part as far as icing, as far as stretching, as far as act rest, as far as, it's doing soft tissue, the foam roll. I was like, your foam roll is your best friend. You should be doing that all the time because this brings on the point of, I always tell people, don't wait until you have symptoms to treat things. You should always, because things, there's a pain threshold and we are always flirting with that pain threshold. If you can stay below it by doing the proper strength and by doing the proper stretching, by doing the proper um, soft tissue mobilization, you will stay below that threshold. So many of the biggest problem I see people have is they don't do things until they have the pain. So they're more reactionary instead of um, proactionary, instead of being proactive. And so I tell people, and so people who don't come in here who are able to avoid injuries, they're being really good at stretching, soft tissue, recovery, icing, all that to prevent the accumulation of inflammation, the accumulation of tightness, the accumulation of problems so they never hit that pain threshold. So out of so, all those maintenance activities that you just mentioned, stretching, foam roll, icing, 
which ones are the heavy hitters? Because there are going to be people out there that go, okay, I got to pick one or I got to pick two because it's only time, right? It depends. And, and it depends is the most common answer for any physical therapist when we get asked questions. <laughs> so it depends on the nature and the cause of your problem. If you have an inflammatory problem, if you're just prone to having a tendon inflamed, so icing afterwards, even if you don't have pain. So you want to keep inflammation down because inflammation is very cumulative. Each time you run, it builds up, it builds up, it builds up. That's why you see so many professional athletes sit in ice baths. After pitcher pitches, he has an ice on his arm. Even though he doesn't have any pain, that ice is bringing that inflammation down. So it never gets to a point of hitting that pain threshold. So you always want to keep inflammation down in ice if it's an inflammatory problem. If you have a muscle cramping, muscle tightness, muscle strain issue, you want to do more stretching foam rolling to keep that muscle loose. Because if you keep doing your athletic activity and then the tightness keeps building and building and building until it, it gets so tight and then you do a sprint, the muscle is so tight and then it's going to tear because it's so tight. You want to prevent it from getting so tight by constantly soft tissueing it, constantly stretching it and keeping it loose. So it doesn't get to the point where it gets tight and you strain it. So it depends on the nature of the issue. If you have an older athlete and they have some kind of arthritic change in the joints, the most common symptom is stiffness and joints get stiff. And so because of that, you always want to stretch the joint out. You want to teach them trouble some self-mobilization of the knee joint, maintaining full flexion, full extension, and make sure they are doing these mobility type exercises to keep it mobile because that stiffness can be accumulating and build up over time. So you, whatever issue they have, you want to target those modalities to keep it down. Just don't throw shit at it, I think is the thing no, that you're kind of getting at. it has to be specific at, right? for that patient, correct. Why would you ice a muscle strain necessarily when it's not an inflammatory issue? You know, you can't, and, and that's the problem when people who do treat with ice heat and all those things, heat. Don't get me started on heat. I'm not a big believer in superficial heat because it just doesn't penetrate deep enough. So it doesn't really do anything to quote unquote heat up the muscle. An active warm up is more important to actually warm up the muscle versus heat. So um, you can't just throw anything. It has to be very specific to that, to the patient. And this is, this is something that I've always had an issue with within the recovery space that I think translates into what you do as well. Every you know, six or nine months, there's a new toy out there, you know, first Correct. it's a, you know, kinesio tape. <laughs> we, we could go through all these. We're not going to throw them right. all under the bus. CBD, Maybe we'll say the it's CBD, CBD oil, right? There's a new Theragun, there's Normatec boots, there's, you know, now, now compression boots that will circulate cold water through them. There's contrast therapy, there's cryotherapy. And it, you know, they, they, they keep going through cycles, right? You and I have been doing this a long time. Correct. We've seen all these things kind of come and go. And we both get the same question, does this work? And I give the same answer that you do most of the time. Some of the times, just no. <laughs> just, we could just throw some things completely out. But sometimes there is a, it can work for this thing very specifically. And I think that that's, the, that's what gets lost because product manufacturers, they want to sell products to everybody not just the things that, that are going to work for them, right? <laughs> Correct. So with that being said, a new a hot thing, and we actually use it here, are the hypervolts Theraguts. Everybody yeah. is using them. Every, every athlete is using it. And I get that question all, all the time. Should I get one? Will this help me? And so my answer, and I've used it, I, I personally don't use it. I like using my hands, my elbows to get, actually feel in it because I can't feel through a machine. Yeah. However, people, they want to buy it and use it for themselves. So, um, it, 
it, it works for some people and doesn't work for some, but again, it depends on what it's specifically for. It works on a vibrational technology base where it's vibrating. It does, it has shown to increase blood flow to there. It has shown to loosen up muscles it has, and it can help with recovery and or prep for an athletic activity. However, if you have a knot and you need deep tissue release, it really can't do that because it can't go deep enough and it's too, it's too painful if you try to push deep. So if you have that kind of a problem, that's not going to be effective for that. But if you're using it to try to warm up a muscle per se and or you have general tightness, not like a deep knot, it can be effective for that. Or you can think that it really helps and for the placebo effect and you want to use it and you're like, I'm not going to get injured <laughs> because you use it and it helps and by all means and, and do that. So I'm going to give you a great um, idea for an infographic, not to throw more work on your plate. Cause we just talked about how much time you don't have, but let's do an infographic and take all of those and say mm -hmm. every single one, Kinesio tape, the Theragun, Normatech boots, heat, hot, cold, every, every single one. Use this for these, not for this. Simple XY grid modalities, right? Down the Y axis, yes, no on the X axis. And then the caveats as another point of the X axis. What do you think? Give that to your students. There you go, dude. I've just helped you out now. Give that to your students just to have come through. I, I would do that, except I, I'm not one of the, I'm, you can call me old fashioned that I am more of, um, I don't like to, I don't necessarily, I don't want to call buy-in, but I, I don't rely on those. I, again, go more as far as, I feel like most things can be handled by the traditional manual therapy, therapy of exercise, you know, habit changing, postural changing. I feel like most things can be handled by those things. Are those, can they be helpful? Yes, but are they necessary? Necessary? No. You can use a frozen bag of peas for the ice. You don't need to go to cryotherapy <laughs> chambers. You know, I'm very simplistic. People always ask me, should I buy this? Should I buy that? And I never push products. I'm like, no, you can get the same effect by a much simpler way. So, I, I, so with my residents, with students, I never say, oh, yeah, you should definitely recommend Normatec for the compression therapy afterwards. You should recommend this. I never push those products. However, patients ask me, should I do this? Should I do that? I was like, well, do you feel like it works? <laughs> if you feel like it does, by all means. That's funny. Yeah. Like a common thing yeah. that I've always had with really high quality physical therapists is they like to use their hands. Like they just feel that their hands are the best tools because they get the kinesthetic feedback of the quality of the tissue and how does it actually feel and things like that versus the tools that are really specifically where, whether it's an A-STEM tool or Graston or the Theragun or whatever that has, that has some sort of barrier between them and the, them and the patient where they can actually feel it. They just feel that they have a better, they have just a better take on the situation, I guess is the best way to put it. Correct. And that was my training is they really taught us how to feel with our hands and get that feedback with our hands and we can feel the problems. And so I'm more old school. I can tell you the newer school therapists are less manual therapy based and they're more therapeutic exercise based. Mm -hmm. And while there is benefit to therapeutic exercise, I do not believe that is the NLB all. I believe you have to have a combination of both in most cases. Some cases, don't get me wrong, some cases it is a weakness issue, it is a tightness issue, and they can get by with therapeutic exercises, yes. But the majority of patients, my patients, in my experience, I think most people need both. You may not need a lot of manual therapy, but it could help initially because if somebody has a knot, 
the muscle is not going to be able to function and perform to the higher stability because there is a length tension relationship as far as, as far as much as a muscle's ability to produce torque and or get stronger. Muscles are made of fibers, my fibers, and they have to be able to slide back and forth. And if a muscle is knotted, it can't. So you can't, it's going to be really limited on how strong it can get. So you can throw all the therapeutic exercise or stretches that you want, but it will have a ceiling for how strong you can get if you have knots in muscles. So I'm a big opponent of finding those knots and getting rid of them if you want an athlete to reach its maximum, their maximum potential as far as strengthening goes. Hmm. So that's, right. I think, where a lot of it's missed. And so because there has been new research showing manual therapy is not is just as effective as therapeutic exercises and these new therapists, they point to that research, but you have to look at the nature of the research and whether or not it's uh, level five evidence, which is a double blind randomized controlled trial study. And those aren't those. So the evidence is not necessarily strong with those, but the, but the, the studies aren't necessarily looking at necessarily this certain outcomes as far as the, the, the outcomes are more like, um, pain, either pain reduction or function. They don't necessarily look at strength production and all that. So that's why I've always, I've always thought that it's important to look at clinics like yourself that have to balance the needs of the patient, the business needs and come up with very kind of like practical, like not only practical solutions, but just like a practical way to set up the business versus with all due respect, the Olympic training center here, where it's a different population of athletes. And also they have a different, like it's the athlete's job. So in a lot of ways they can just kind of like throw stuff at whether it's a, you know, training intervention or recovery modality, or they're trying to recovery from recover from an injury. Like they've just got more tools that they can use. And if it's not going to do any harm, right. They can, they can, they can afford the time, the cost and the energy to do that with that specific population base. I don't think that that's like useful to look at as a model as compared to what you guys do. it, It is useful in that patients always ask me, how do athletes get recover faster? Right. And I said, well, they don't have anything else to do except dedicate themselves <laughs> to their body. And they, they can do it for four or five hours a day. They have somebody working on them. They can't dedicate that amount of time. That goes back to the patient compliance issue. The more you do, the more you spend, the more you dedicate on this, the faster your recovery will be. So you can use athletes as far as uh, good examples on that. And be, I tell patients that all the time. Be compliant and take notes, right? There you go. Exactly. Athletes are, like I mentioned earlier, athletes are some of the most compliant. But one issue I have with athletes is they do way too much too early because yeah. they are so dedicated. They, they end up, I say, do this exercise and they end up doing it way too much. And then I'm like, whoa, they come back. And like, I kind of flare up. I'm like, how much did you do? And they thought, oh, I thought just because you told me I did it, the more, the better. I'm like, no, that's too much. <laughs> so you do know? you have to, do you have to tailor that? I mean, normally you're in a, in a, I say normal population. So somebody just comes out of surgery, right? They're a normal person. They're not a high level athlete or whatever. Do you have to yes. tailor the, how you deliver the advice to yeah. this verse group versus that group? You have to, you have to get a read on the personality of the patient. Yeah. And if you can tell if they're really gung ho and they really want to do things, they, they say, when can I take the brace off? When can I walk? Yeah. When can I do this? And I have to say the number one goal right now is to protect the integrity of the surgery. You don't do that because that risks re-damaging the surgery. You can't do that. So I have to calm them down and walk them off the ledge, you know? So and then, but some patients are really nervous. They're like, oh, I don't want, I'll give them actually, oh, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I'm like, no, you can't. It's fine. So, you, it, so every patient is different. And 
and you have to kind of gauge their personality and how they feel on that. But that's a good sign of a good PT is somebody who can, who has the experience and has worked with all different kinds of people and who can read yeah. the kind of person they are. And then you have to, you have to like adjust how you talk to them and what you give to them as far and, and how you, and the advice you give to them and things you have to look for and say, look, if you're sore, then make sure you back this down because I'm anticipating they're going to do too much and getting so and get sore and then trying to foresee and anticipate potential problems with that patient, you know, cause otherwise they'll be like, you didn't tell me about this. You didn't tell me about that. You know, but if I, anticipated that I tell them and I can be like, no, I told you not to do that. I told you not to do that. Oh yeah. Okay. So they're more likely to listen. There are a lot of triathletes so. in Santa Monica and we always throw triathletes under the bus. They're the most notorious group for doing, doing way too much like that. Um, yes. <laughs> all right, man. So you started this thing. You're now, how, how long has the clinic been in business? Seven years now? Five years. Five actually. years. Okay. Let's look 10 years down the road. What do you want it to look like then as compared to well, now? We're kind of, I would love to actually add other services such as acupuncture. I do, I do feel acupuncture has its strengths. I would love to add occupational therapy. I would like to add potentially a chiropractor. There are chiropractors, like I mentioned, chiropractors have, there are a lot of good chiropractors and it is just another modality adjunct treatment that could be very helpful. So we would, if we did expand here, I wanted to add other services. However, we want to be able to add different locations to hit more of Los Angeles, go more east into Beverly Hills, West Hollywood, that area, and then eventually go to the Valley. So I want to add more locations and be able to reach more people with our model here. Interesting. Man, you're taking a risk with the chiropractors, man. They get such a bad rap. (laughs) People ask me all the time, what do you think of chiropractors? And I say, it depends on what they're claiming they do. If they claim they can realign the spine by cracking your back, I'm like, then that's not possible. Physiologically, it's not possible. But if they claim, you know, joint manipulations, the studies have shown, they can cause muscles to actually relax. They can cause temporary analgesic releases. And so if you can treat pain and or you can... There are certain conditions where chiropractors are highly effective, such as the set syndrome, such as rib subluxations. They can't pop a rib back in place. I can't do that. I was taught that, but I do not trust myself. So if I had a patient, I felt the rib was out. I'd say go to a chiropractor. They're so much better at doing that. Yeah. So there are absolutely conditions. And some chiropractors do, the more holistic chiropractors, they do look at the whole body in the same way we do. They do um, work on muscular imbalances. They can treat in that way i wouldn't hire a chiropractor that only manipulated just to get the crack and say that fixed everything you know you have to follow up that with strengthening and whatnot you know it's just like anything it's just like anything else whenever you're pitching something as a panacea those people are the quacks and for whatever reason that field gets gets like a lot of that compared to the whole unfortunately the they do, and, but and, and you also actually look at their research. The research is mostly done by chiropractors, yeah, so naturally right. they're going to be biased. Yeah, yeah. So, but there are plenty of chiropractors that I know that aren't like that, and they are they're very good, and they they do treat the whole body. And they so, and I've had a lot of patients who tell me about them. And again, this goes back to the patient referrals. So, those are the ones that I like to send to. I'm going to, you just gave me a good idea for my next podcast. I'm going to bring a chiropractor on just so they can talk about that field because it it does get, you get asked it a lot. I get asked it a lot and it's a a trickier one to navigate than the physical therapy field for sure. 
It is. And, you know, you see chiropractors everywhere. I mean, they, they do do it. I have patients who go to chiropractors and see me at the same time. And they, they all, all my patients who see me, they say, Oh no, he's not the typical chiropractor. He just cracks my head. He actually does <laughs> this and that. And I'm like, okay, fine. <laughs> so keep seeing him as long as it's like he helps by all means, you know, all again, a good ther- physical therapist. All we care about is getting the patient better. All we care about is getting them back to the activity. All we care about it, no, no matter what, what, whatever it takes. You know, a bad physical therapist is like, don't go there, do what I say, listen to me, I know everything. That's not the case. I am the first one to say, I don't know everything. If that helps you, by all means, is that, I don't care what helps you as long as you get better. Mm, that's a brilliant so place to leave my, it, my friend. That's my number one priority is to get you better. I don't care in what way. I love it, man. Thanks for carving out the time. I know you got a full clinic behind you, man. We're going to let you go. I'm going to include uh, links cool. in the show notes to where where the clinic is and things like that. But is there anything else you want to say about how people can get in touch with you and all of the physical therapists and things like that that you have at the <laughs> clinic? You want to give out your no, cell phone number? People can just text you randomly. No, I don't know if I, I, I got to be careful who I give myself a number two. But, you know, you can, in, in our, our, our website, metricspeaky.com, and wellness.com and you know our phone our clinic number is probably better go find john's clinic number thanks man i appreciate it again my pleasure always good to talk to you yeah man all right folks there you have it there you go much thanks to john for coming on the podcast today thank you for being a great friend of mine over the course of the last 30 some odd years that we've known each other. Thank you for being a professional confidant of mine and helping me navigate this uh, crazy world of physical therapy. And thank you most particularly for keeping the athletes that I've sent over to you on the right side of the injury line. This conversation was extremely enlightening. This is the 100th episode of the Coopcast. I still kind of can't believe it as I'm recording this outro. So a very special thanks to all of the listeners out there that has made that have made this podcast so special. I appreciate the heck out of each and every one of you. Let me know what your feedback is. Let me know what you want to see coming up for the next 100 episodes of the Coopcast. As always, folks, we will see you out on the trails.